We thank you that we can pray that prayer and know that you will take us at our word, that you look into our hearts and see our true desire. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to be like Jesus, especially as we think about prayer and the way that Jesus prayed. Lord, make us like you, we pray. As we look at your word, make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please sit down. Well, this morning, we are going to be looking at prayer and whether we're just talking to ourselves, really. Are we just kidding ourselves? Do I ever get that feeling? Am I just talking to myself? And we're going to look at this in in three sections, really. Firstly, uh, I'd just like to explore a bit of the problem and see whether... um, There's something within that that you might relate to. And secondly, we'll have a look at uh, the passage, which is 1 Samuel. And then we will have a look at our communication with God. And if you like, that's our our response bit, the, the more practical bit. So, am I just talking to myself? Well... I think I often have reason to think that I am talking to myself. After all, um, I'm a parent. I'm a teacher. I'm a husband. I'm not going to say that. But what about when I pray? Am I just talking to myself? Well, I'm not about to explore the existence of God whether our prayers are to a being who is there or not. Um, I think John dealt superbly last week with this idea of uh, being certain of our faith and our salvation. And if your question, I think, is still about the existence of God, then a great forum to to engage with that is the Christianity Explored um, courses that are running here on a Sunday night. So do talk to Louise about that if you still have questions along those lines. I'm sure um, she'll be able to put you in touch with someone. Um, Our question here is whether when we pray, God hears us, and then whether something happens as a result. Take this for a prayer. A man and his five-year-old son driving down the road, and they see an accident. Now, normally, the man would say, let's, let's pray for those people, just as they see them. What a great idea. Uh, on this occasion, he turns to his young son and says, we should pray. Now, the thing is, they were headed for somewhere to get a nice McDonald's. And uh, just as they approached the entrance, they realised about this accident. So the man says, we should pray. And then his son says, I'll pray. Lord, I pray that those cars don't block the entrance to McDonald's. (laughs) So, what about that then? What sort of prayer is that? 
Well, we can approach prayer scientifically, can't we? And we can say, well, it's pretty straightforward. We'll do an experiment. We'll do some praying. We'll see what happens. We'll observe all the results. Maybe do some statistics, a few charts. And um, we could even publish all our findings. Um, That's actually been done. Um, As far as I can make out from the studies that have been published, 18 times, um, officially, um, uh, since 1952, I think it was, 18 studies of that nature, large-scale studies on prayer. So it wouldn't be the first one, but we could try it. The trouble is, those findings, even though they tend to come out positive, they don't convince us. Hence why I think there's about 18 of these studies. So if then... We've got all this research. Why doesn't it convince us? Well, I think if we approach prayer purely on an answers to prayer basis, and we're looking at answers to other people's prayer, then we still can feel, well, that's not me. We're just talking to ourselves. Because we don't replicate that experience in our own lives. We don't come up with the same experience necessarily. So the study doesn't apply to us. Well, what is it then that makes us think we're talking to ourselves, maybe? Well, we may not see answers to prayer. We may not feel God's presence when we're praying. And we might not see any results at all. As a result of that, we might not have a desire to pray. And then we might think if we do pray, that we're just talking to ourselves. So we go round in circles sometimes, trying to convince ourselves, but actually not really succeeding. Well, maybe there are some other things also that have meant we feel like we're talking to ourselves. Perhaps like what we might have made prayer to be. Very quickly and easily we can formalise prayer. We can see prayer as a way of presenting our ideas to God. For him to use. And maybe even without realising it, our prayer is, tends to be self-serving, self-seeking. We want a nice, clear way through to McDonald's. And the trouble is here that this type of prayer could always be argued against. It makes no difference whether you pray, let's say, for safety, or whether you don't pray. Because you could be safe anyway, whether you prayed or not. And perhaps the argument stands because of the motivation behind the prayer. We kind of put God in a lose-lose situation. If I pray and it gets answered, I just think, oh, it's coincidence. Would have happened anyway. But if I pray and it doesn't happen, then God didn't hear or answer my prayer. 
So sometimes we're not convinced that we're being heard when we pray. And sometimes we might also observe prayers that require God to act illogically. The classic two people next to each other, one praying for rain, the other praying for sun. Well, how can both prayers be answered? What are the feelings of the one that gets answered and the one that doesn't? But God is not dictated to, not even by the prayers of his saints. And then, I think lastly, there are those prayers that we really feel are in God's and everyone else's in the earth's best interest. Lord, stop this war. Let everyone see Jesus Christ. And nothing appears to happen. But this is all a bit tricky. How do we get past all of this? If we don't want to settle for a kind of blind faith approach, then I think we need to look a little bit deeper at prayer, a little bit deeper at ourselves, and above all, a little bit deeper at God and his relationship with people. And I think then we can be reminded or grasp the intimacy, the power and effectiveness of prayer. So where can we start to look for this? Well, I think 1 Samuel is a great place to start. And we can learn a lot from Hannah. Certainly, we'll be looking at someone else's experience. But remember, her experience is of God. And it is of the God that we worship, the unchangeable God, the God that Hannah prayed to. Well, not examine statistics or a formula for successful prayer, but focus on her relationships and her approach and response and search for how God worked out his purposes through her. So 1 Samuel 1, I think is on page 271 in the red ones. And we'll begin at verse 1. We get an introduction. There was a certain man from Ramathane, a Zuphite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. So basically, here we have a Jew from one of the small tribes. He had two wives, one was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina, And to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion. Because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord. Her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. 
Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, that, that was just a way that, uh, of, of making someone set apart for the Lord. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favour in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah, I will leave that there for a moment. Um, We'll come back to that, so if you keep that bit open there. Here, we seem to have a story of desperation, really. The story appears from this chapter to be, to be all about Hannah. And we can learn a fair bit about her here. Significantly, she is suffering personally. Sure, some might suggest that the problem here of being childless is not that bad, really. People suffer a lot worse. True enough. Although being childless in a Jewish culture would have been a lot harder to bear than it is in the West today. The point isn't about the magnitude of her suffering. It's that she brings it to God. She's completely honest before God. Some of the words mentioned in this translation are downhearted, bitterness of soul, wept, misery, great anguish and grief, deeply troubled, pouring out my soul. When did you last see all of that in a prayer meeting? When did I last pray like that? This is Hannah's approach to God. It's open, honest, humbling, but she brings all her fears, grief and bitterness. It really is bitterness. That translation, it's the same word that's used in Job when we we talk about, or we see the um, idea that God has, or seems to be, 
taking everything away. And there's a real bitterness there. It's all brought out here. There's no airs or graces. There's no polished performance. There's no rehearsal. It's a direct communication, heart to heart. I think that whole approach is a bit countercultural for us here in the UK. Because we tend to think, well, this type of thing, maybe if you can get through that type of pain or problem, then, you know, you're strong. You can reach deep within yourself and you can cope. You might even conquer and you'll be all the stronger. But Hannah's not proud. She just lets it all out. And God meets her. God meets her? How do we know that? Well, something happens. Hannah's pouring out her soul. She's crying. And we might describe her as hysterical. Certainly the priest, Eli, seems to think that she's drunk. And he's not afraid to tell her. So Hannah enters the temple, we might say, in a mess. A real mess. The priest accuses her of being drunk. um, But to give him his due, he does bless her when he realises she's actually praying. But the next thing we read about Hannah, after she's prayed, is that she went away, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. And then they go and worship. Well, maybe it's what she ate. Although, not so sure about that. She seems to be well provided for with food. Um... Maybe she just unloaded, you know, got it all off of her chest. A bit like when we pray, maybe, and if we feel like we're talking to ourselves, does that help us get things off our chest? I think not. I think she met with the Lord, communicated with him openly, honestly, in a public place, the temple, She poured out all her grief and God had blessed her with his presence. Because at this point, Hannah has not received any promises about the answer to the prayer. There's no great vision, oh, you will get a son. That's not there. Just communing with God has lifted her. Let's have a closer look at what she prayed for. What did she pray for? Just a son. That that was it. Why would she pray for a son? Well, again, it seems quite straightforward. To relieve her suffering the pain of childlessness. She makes a vow that if God grants the request, she'll give the child back to him. So, in a sense, we might say, well, she doesn't so much want a son as the honour of having a son. It really is about her being relieved of this uh, stigma attached to being childless. And we might look at that and say, well, that's a bit self-seeking, really, then. But as the story unfolds, I think we see Hannah grows in her love for the Lord. And she understands more and more as God works his purposes through her. So let's read a little bit more. We left 19, verse 19, halfway through. 
So we'll read, uh, we'll read the rest of chapter um, 1 through to chapter 2 and a couple of other bits in chapter 2. But I will encourage you, and I think those of you who've received the notes for um, house groups, you'll see that um, there's uh, a fair bit in chapter 2 that's worth a look as well. So, verse 19. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When the man Elkanah went up with all of his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband told her. Stay here until you have weaned him, only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he shall be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. If we can then skip to verse 18, and we read a little bit about, we'll just read a little bit about Samuel. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And then verse 26. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with men. And if we read on through the whole of that book, we see Samuel become a great national, spiritual and political leader. So Hannah's prayer is answered. Why do we think that might be? Can we look in here for some clues about how to get answered prayer? Well, I don't know that's the best approach really. But was it because she was bitter? Was it because she cried? Was it because of how long she'd been suffering? We read year after year. Was it because she actually prayed? Or was it the vow that swung it, you know, 
almost like a bribe to God? Or was it because God is almighty? I don't think we can construct a formula for successful prayer out of Hannah's experience and say, if I'm passionate, broken, long-suffering, prayerful, and make a vow, then I'll see answer to prayer. What we can do is witness how God works through Hannah and her son and look at how Hannah changes. Read the whole of chapter 2 at some point. As I've said in house groups, that, that will be good to do. And you'll read about these great reversals that God brings. He turns things around. And we can look at how Samuel becomes a nation's leader. And actually the communication link between God and the people of Israel. And then you read on further and see all of David's exploits through to Samuel. And you might then say, well, what if Hannah hadn't have prayed that prayer right at the beginning of the book? Would we have Samuel? Would we have David? Jesus was of David's line. Don't know, do we? We can't really, we can't really tell what would have happened if she didn't pray. Because she did pray. But if she hadn't prayed that initial prayer, I don't think she would have prayed what she said in chapter 2 and verse 1. My heart rejoices in the Lord. Her joy is in the Lord and not in his blessings. I think that's quite key. Um... It's not about the son. The son was a wonderful blessing. But the Lord was who Hannah was rejoicing in. She seems to have grown closer to the Lord through her experiences. Uh, Personally, I can testify to this, to the point of being able to say, we have a Samuel. He's seven years old now. My wife Paula and I, we ask God for him. We got more than we bargained for in the same way that Hannah did here as well. But we can forget answers to prayer if we don't consciously remember them. So, to move on to the third bit then, having looked at Hannah's experience, how can we be sure of our own communication with God? Well, maybe it's helpful to embrace the mystery of prayer. It is mysterious in the same way our relationships with other people are mysterious. Sometimes we feel really close to people, don't we? And other times, far away. Sometimes we ask people to do things that seem like a really good idea and they've got the power to do it, but they just don't. Sometimes we write to people, phone them, text them, email them, and we don't get any response. But prayer is mysterious in another way also. We just do not know what the answer or the outcome or the effect will be. Hannah prayed for her son. She didn't pray for a spiritual or political leader. She prayed for her son, not a whole family. And then we see she has been blessed with even more children. 
She prayed for a son, not that her relationship with the Lord would develop and grow and be deepened. So in this case, the Lord answers the specific prayer, but he does so much more as well. So when I pray, am I just talking to myself then? Well, hopefully not, but maybe. Prayer, it seems, is not solely about a request or making promises to God or even venting our frustrations. I think it's about communicating with God, putting ourselves in his hands and being willing to let him do his thing with us, placing ourselves under his authority, recognising our weakness and his power. Letting him use us. In communication, it's a two-way thing. So if we're just talking, we probably are just talking to ourselves. If we're communicating, we'll be listening. We'll be waiting, responding, open, wanting to hear from God. We'll not necessarily be trying to persuade God to do things. Or even, um, maybe trying to look good in front of others. Uh, Am I the only one that's tried to do that? As we pray? Oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? It's a good sentence that's just popped into my head. Try that one. Oh no, just just work it out a bit more. Okay. Or what about reciting lucky charm type prayers? It's not communication. Another another issue. Two boys live with their grandma. They're about to go to bed. And the older brother prays and tells the Lord about his day and thanks God for all the things that have happened. The younger brother steps up to pray and really loudly starts praying for all these toys and games and bikes and goodness knows what. And his brother turns and says, what, what are you doing? God's not deaf. He said, no, but grandma is. <laughs> so who are we actually praying to? When we pray, let's remember we're praying to God. Sounds daft, but Actually, who are we praying to? What are we praying about? If you want to read more on prayer, read a gospel and look at Jesus and how he prays. There's a lot in there. He drew his strength, power, wisdom, guidance from the Father. And his means of communication was prayer. It's as simple as that. Practically, what can we do to support and encourage each other? Quite a lot, I think. Set aside some time to communicate with God. Sometimes I like to just get a nice cup of coffee, bit of cake, just put on a nice bit of music. Just sit, enjoy the Lord's presence. Just like you would with a friend. Pray for specific things. Let other people pray for you, such as our prayer ministry times. Brother Lawrence, in his book on the practice of the presence of God, he doesn't pray long prayers. But he doesn't leave very long between his prayers. So between you, I think there'll be many things you can suggest and there'll be time at house group to do that. But ultimately, I think prayer is a communication in developing relationship with the Lord. We can't develop this talking to ourselves 
or sticking to certain formulas. And we don't tend to communicate with other people in that way, do we? So let's not do so with the Lord. Let's pray all types of prayer in all types of situations and deepen our relationship with the Lord. He's almighty. It's all about him. And it's all about his purposes. But he lets us in on it. He lets us take part in it. And even if it feels like we're just talking to ourselves, we're not. Because we never quite know, because it's God that is all-knowing. It's God that is almighty.